Good morning, Calvary. It's great to be here. Uh, as Matt said, I've been coming here for about three or four years now, and uh, I got married three months ago, and since then I've been going to my wife's church more regularly, but it's, I've been able to come back a few times now, and it's been really good to be back here to see you guys again, and it's great to be here today to, to worship with you guys and also to, to spend time in the Word. I'm glad the decorations aren't just for me, it's for something else, but um, it's good to be here, and it's good to be decorated as well. Um, I'm looking forward, we're going to study, look at Matthew 6 with your Bibles. Uh, might as well open up to that and we'll look at that. And as you're doing that, I want to get you to imagine a scenario with me. I don't, a couple of years back, maybe 10 years ago or so, uh, Apple had this line of commercials where they had a, uh, for the new iPod, where they had a series of silhouettes uh, with their iPods plugged into their ears and they're just rocking out some, uh, dancing to like some really rocking music and having a great time. I want you to imagine uh, a scenario where someone is doing that. They've got their iPod plugged in, they're listening to uh, just some rocking music, having a great time. And I want you to imagine that a deaf person enters into the scene, and he's watching this guy, and uh, he's looking at this guy, like, this guy's having a lot of fun. I'm going to try and do what he's doing. So he comes up to the guy, and starts watching him, starts watching how he's moving his legs, starts to imitate him. First, it's kind of awkward, doesn't quite get it, but eventually he finds the rhythm, starts dancing with his legs. Then he starts watching, how is he uh, moving his shoulders and his head, and starts mimicking in that. Once again, at first, it's a little awkward, but eventually he gets the rhythm. Uh, eventually he gets everything that the guy is doing. He's per- almost perfectly uh, mimicking the guy's movements. Now imagine a third person enters the scene, and he, he just sees those two guys. He sees them, and he, he probably seems, for him, it seems as if uh, both guys are listening to the same music and dancing the exact same way. But the reality is that these are two different scenarios, right? The one person is listening to the music and he's responding to that with his dance moves. So the outward actions are a response to the music he's hearing in his head. Whereas the, first guy, the second guy, the deaf guy, is just doing the outward actions. There's no music that's driving him. He's just following this other guy and doing the outward actions. I think... This picture is a, it's a good picture of what it can be like to be a Christian sometimes. As Christians, um, there are certain outward actions or dance moves that we all know we're supposed to do. And, mu- and we know that the music that should lead us and motivate us to do that is the grace of the gospel. God's desire is not just that we do the dance moves, but rather that we're tuned into the music of the gospel. And as we hear, the dan- as we hear that, the dance moves, the godly actions, will naturally flow out of it. That's ideally how, as Christians, we should be living our lives. But the reality is, if we're being honest, that too often we're probably more like a deaf person. Uh, We're just uh, performing the godly actions, not because we are dialed into the music of the gospel, but rather is out of a sense of duty, knowing this is what Christians do, and this is the way we should act. Uh, Therefore, I'm going to try and act this way. As I've been studying Matthew 6 and preparing for today, I've been wondering if this may be what is broken in many of our prayer lives. I know for myself that... I'm not satisfied with where my prayer life is. And I've talked to many people over the years, and I've never met someone who said, I've arrived. I've, I'm completely satisfied with where my prayer life is. I think we, we would all agree that our prayer lives can go deeper. There's, there's something missing. We need to, there's, some, there, there's room for us to grow in our prayer lives. Uh, as I've been studying Matthew 6 and preparing for today, I've been wondering if, uh, I've, I've been encouraged and uh, 
uh, just uh, con- convicted as well through that. And so, um, yeah, I think this is an important question for us to ask. Uh, J.I. Packer, or as some of you might know him, Jim Packer, uh, says that, I believe that prayer is the measure of the man spiritually in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. In a lot of ways, our prayer life is a litmus test of where we are at spiritually. It reveals to us what is really most important to us, where our priorities are, and what the condition of our relationship with God is. In Matthew 6, God, Christ gives us a, a model, a model we're probably very familiar with. Um, for many of you, this, this may be a very familiar passage, perhaps almost too familiar, but I believe it's a really important passage. I pray that we can study it today with a renewed perspective on this passage. The famous British preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, Nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. And so I want to invite you to join me in praying that as we study this familiar passage, God would widen and deepen our understanding of this passage and what it means to pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for, uh, yeah, just the blessing is that we can study that and learn from that. Lord God, we confess that there are places where we can grow in our prayer walks, prayer lives, Lord God. I pray that as we study this passage, that you would just open up our eyes uh, to what you're trying to teach us today, Lord God. I pray you'd give us all teachable hearts. I pray that the words I say would be of you and not of me. And I pray that you would just, uh, yeah, allow us to be transformed through this word, Lord. I pray in your name and for your glory. Amen. So, starting in Matthew 6, pick it up in verse 5. This is, just to give some context, this is where Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, this is part of his famous Sermon on the Mount, uh, sermon series, or sermon. Uh, he's, talking, he's talking about a lot of different practical uh, aspects of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And in, this, in these uh, ten verses here, he's talking about, about prayer. So this is all him speaking. Uh, so he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. We'll stop there for a sec. So before Christ gives his disciples in the crowd the right model for prayer, he begins by condemning the wrong way to approach prayer. In this passage, we see two wrong approaches that Christ is condemning. First, he's condemning praying for vainglory and praying vain, repetitious prayers. These two approaches were, were quite common um, and were taken a lot by the, were often modeled by the religious leaders like the Pharisees of the day um, and were likely emulated by many people in this culture. Christ's condemnation, therefore, is bold as these religious leaders were really, expect, uh, really respected um, and, and revered in that culture. And so his condemnation in these verses would be shocking for his audience to hear. So let's look at what he's condemning and more more uh, specifics. First, in vain, first vain glory. In verse 5 and 6, Christ is attacking the religious leaders who would go out into public places to pray so that others can see them pray. 
Their prayer life is not about connecting with God, but rather to enhance themselves and to make themselves look good and likely to feel better about themselves. The focus here is completely on themselves and not on God. It's important to note as we look at this that it's not bad because it's done in public. Christ is not attacking public prayer. Um, throughout the Gospels, we see that he prays in public and encourages others to pray in public. His issue is not that prayer is done in public, but in the motivation to pray in public. For many, including ourselves, this motivation was, is to make ourselves feel good, and that uh, is a temptation we can all face. This is why he encourages his disciples to pray in private. In private, it's easier to focus on God and have an authentic, heartfelt time in prayer. The single focus of our prayers must not be ourselves, but more importantly, God. This can be done both in public and in private, but it's much easier to do in private. And thus, Christ encourages his disciples to make this the foundation of their prayer lives. Secondly, we see Christ condemn vain repetition in prayer. This was uh, quite common amongst the Gentiles at that time, but it's believed that even the Jews practiced this in their prayer lives. Here, once again, Christ is not necessarily condemning praying long prayers or repeating, repeating your prayers. He's condemning the belief that by repeating these phrases, that God will hear your prayers. While we today may not pray repetitive phrases like this uh, as evangelicals, but we often fall into similar false understandings of prayer when we think that if we pray harder or pray longer or pray more eloquently, then God will hear our prayers. Christ here is saying that this idea is ridiculous. This, this idea of prayer goes against God's nature. God knows everything, right? It's not as if he's in heaven and uh, he's hearing all his murmuring down on earth and he's like, I can't quite pick out what they're saying. Oh, I hear something. It's coming back. It's coming back one more time. Okay, I got it. I, I can hear you, right? That's all Christ. He understands everything. He understands what we're saying before we even say it. He knows exactly what we need. And so Christ is condemning this idea that you on your own can make God hear you. Um, the, the, the focus of this prayer, once again, is, is on me, not on God, right? It's on what, what can I do to get God to move, to move God? What can I do? It's all about what I can do. And Christ is condemning that. By condemning these two approaches, Christ is showing his audience that their prayer lives need to be rebuilt. It doesn't just need a, a boost or an encouragement. Uh, what it needs is a reorientation on God. Before he can show them the correct approach to pray, he needs to tear down their false approaches to prayer. And now that he has done that and shown them the correct orientation for prayer, he can show them how we should approach prayer. In verse 9, I'll pick it up again. He's, he begins by sharing with us a model of how he prays. He says, verse 9, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Perhaps the most staggering thing about Christ's model for prayer here is his introduction. Last week, Pastor Matt spoke about, about God and who he is and how he's holy, he's righteous, sovereign over all, omniscient, omnipresent. Talk about like how we can't even begin to describe who he is because of just how great, how big he is. 
knowing that, thinking about who God is, and then looking at the Bible talks about our relationship with God before Christ, and remembering um, just Christ's holiness, his majesty, um, it, is, it is simply staggering that we can call Christ our Father. The Bible says that we were enemies of God, sinners not worthy of being in God's presence. As Christians, it is only because of Christ that we can approach God in prayer at all. It is only because of Christ that our sins have been forgiven. And if Christ's death and resurrection had simply forgiven our sins and nothing more, we would be incredibly blessed. That Christ's death and resurrection has also secured our adoption into God's family, that we who were once enemies of God can, God, call, our, can call God our Father, is simply staggering. It's mind-blowing. I was trying to think of an analogy that's similar to that, and this analogy makes it just ridiculous to me, because I don't think it could ever happen, but imagine uh, the Canadian army were to capture like an ISIS recruit over um, in Syria or Iraq, and they brought them back to Canada. He was convicted, put in jail, and, uh, and then Stephen Harper, our prime minister, enters into the fray and says, I'm going to take this guy out of pr- prison, I'm going to adopt him, and he's going to be my, my boy. All my privileges, all privileges that come with being my child, I'm giving to this, this guy. Like, even saying that sounds ridiculous to me. Um, but what Christ has done for us is even far greater than that, even far more ridiculous than Stephen Harper forgiving and um, adopting some ISIS recruit. Um, I think this is important for us to think about. J.I. Packer says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. So I want to ask you, Christian, do you understand how blessed you are to be able to call God your father? Do you get that? Do you get what that means, the privileges, the rights that come with being a child of God? I'm trying to, I'm harping on this because I think it's important because the rest of Christ's prayer naturally flows out of an understanding of this and the rest of the gospel. If we get this, the rest of the prayer just comes naturally. A first, in, first natural response to this truth ought to be reverence, hallowing of God, uh, standing in awe. Uh, that is exactly what Christ models here in his prayer. Understanding that God is our Father should cause us to stand in awe and revere him for what he has done for us through Christ. It should cause us to praise, adore, and give glory for all that he has done. It should just be natural to understand that God is our Father. The gospel drives us to stand in reverence before God in our prayers. The gospel also drives us to surrender our will and submit to God's will in our prayers. As we stand in awe of God, we are reminded that he alone is worthy of all glory, and that our prayers should not be self-centered, but rather God-centered, and focus on giving glory to God, not ourselves. As we do this, our hearts align with God's. We begin to lose sight of our small, self-glorifying desires, and realize that his large, God-glorifying desires are so much better. As his children, we know that his plans are better than ours, and we realize that even if it scares us, we can trust his plans, and therefore we can align our prayers with him and pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. If we don't understand that God is our Heavenly Father, that he loves us, 
that he knows what is best for this world and for us, if you don't stand in awe at who he is and what he, is, what he has done, I don't know that we can truthfully surrender our self-centered wills and say, not my will, but your will be done. That is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And without understanding that God is our Heavenly Father, it is probably impossible to earnestly and authentically pray that way. The Gospel also drives us to depend on God moment by moment. When Christ models for us to pray for our daily bread, what he is modeling is day-by-day dependence on God for all our our daily needs, no matter how small. We know that God is our Heavenly Father. But when we know that God is our Heavenly Father, we can pray like this, knowing that He is a provider of all things. We can trust Him to save our souls, and if we know that He loves us as a father, loves a child, we know that He cares about even our smallest needs. And we know that we can trust Him with those small needs and every need in between. We can depend on Him moment by moment for everything. Understanding God as our Father also revolutionizes the way we think and pray about sin. The gospel drives us to hate sin and confess our sin and forgive others who have sinned against us. Through our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we realize how much our sin grieves our Heavenly Father and we grow to hate sin more and more. Knowing our weakness to resist sin, we ask God to keep us away from temptation because we do not want to grieve God. When we do sin, it grieves us and although we know it grieves God, we are still able to come to him, confess, and ask him for forgiveness because we know that he loves us unconditionally. It's because he has forgiven us also that we are able to forgive those who have sinned against us. Colossians 3.13 talks about how uh, we forgive because God has forgiven us. So we don't forgive others and then God forgives us. It's because he's forgiven us, we can forgive others. Forgiving others does not lead God to forgive us at all, but rather is if we're able to forgive others, it shows that God has forgiven us and given us the ability to forgive others. God's forgiveness of us, his adoption of us, his unconditional love, are just a few of the gospel truths that are driving Christ's model of prayer. To the extent we are dialed in and hearing the music of the gospel, hearing the truth of the gospel, to that extent, our prayer life is going to be transformed. Not because we're trying harder, but because God, through his spirit, is transforming our hearts from the inside out and is drawing us to revere him, to surrender to him, and to depend on him, and to hate our sins as well. This ultimately grows our intimacy with God and leads us to pray boldness, with boldness, authenticity, and conviction. I want to ask you, as I've been asking myself this week, what is your prayer life like? How would you describe it? Is it authentic, bold, and full of conviction and driven by delight in the gospel? Is it half Maybe it's half-hearted, driven by duty and desire to look good in front of others. Or perhaps it doesn't even exist. How would you describe your prayer life? I think some of us may fit nicely in one of these different categories. But my guess is that most of our prayer lives, including myself, are a mixture of all three. There are times where We're not praying at all. There are times where it's half-hearted and driven by duty and a desire to look good. And then there are times, maybe not as enough as we want them to be, but there's times where it's authentic and bold and full of conviction, driven by the delight in the gospel. 
But I'm guessing that for most of us, we're probably doing more of the first two than the last two. Thankfully, there's good news. I think all of us would want to see us grow more and more and that our, our prayers are driven by the gospel. It's authentic, it's bold, it's full of conviction. And there's good news for that. God knows our, our, the conditions of our hearts that we've seen. He knows what we need before we even say it. He knows where we have sinned and where we need to grow. His love is unconditional and he's pursuing us by his spirit and drawing us to him. What we need to do is to press into the gospel. We need to dial into the music of the gospel. And as we do that, we need to confess and repent of our sins, even our half-hearted, self-centered prayers. We need to stand in reverence and awe of God for what he's done, for how he has saved us, how he's adopted us. We need to surrender and submit to God as our Father. For some of us, we may need to surrender for the first time in our lives. For others, we may need to re-surrender parts of our lives or uh, surrender new areas of our lives. Um, and then we need to depend on God moment by moment as, uh, as our Father. And we need to do this all not by trying harder or being smarter, but by faith, looking to the gospel and trusting our Father because of what he has already done at the cross. As we do that, I believe the Spirit will transform our hearts and transform our prayer life. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer and theologian, once wrote, this is more of a prayer actually, he said, Grant that I may not pray alone with the mouth. Help me that I may pray from the depths of my heart. As I've been wrestling with this passage this past week, that's been my prayer. And it's my prayer that that would be the same for you. That you would that we would all, um, as our hearts are transformed, as we, as we gaze into the gospel, as we study the gospel, that God would transform our hearts and that our prayer lives would be increasingly prayers um, that are coming from the heart, not from our mouths alone. So, this is my prayer. I hope it's your prayer. I want to pray for us that this would be uh, true in our lives t- today and going forward as well. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for the gospel. I thank you for what you have done. Lord, you are so worthy of all of our praise. You are so worthy of our awe, Lord. We praise you for your saving work on the cross. To save you. We praise you for uh, adopting us as children, Lord God. You are so worthy. Lord, we confess that there is sin in our hearts. There are times where our prayer lives and our hearts are not... Uh, being driven by the gospel, they've been driven by ourselves, they've been driven by other things, Lord God. And Lord, we've, we desire that you would transform our hearts and that through that uh, you would transform us and transform our prayer lives, Lord God. So I pray that uh, you would help us to focus on the gospel, to be dialed into the music of the gospel. I pray that you would transform us through your spirit, Lord God, and that as we do that, we would be transformed, um, that our prayers would be full of conviction, that they be bold, they be earnest and authentic. And that's through that, Lord God, that you be glorified. I pray this in your name. Amen.